Welcome to Season 2 of the MSG Pod. I'm Mimi A, and we've been on hold because of the crisis happening in Myanmar, where my family are from. I'm sorry to say that my co-host, the wonderful Hung Black, won't be returning with me, but I'm hoping to drag her back for the occasional show. We did have a couple of episodes in the bag already, but I won't be airing one of them because it was with the chef Elizabeth Haig talking about her book, Macan. You can Google why I've ditched it. Anyway, the MSG pod is back with a bang, as here is my guest co-host Viv Yao and me chatting live to the celebrity ethnobotanist James Wong at the London Podcast Festival at King's Place. This show was recorded on 5th September 2021 to celebrate EC Heritage Month. Hello everyone, thank you for coming, and this... (laughs) And this is the MSG pod. Um, So we've been on hiatus for a little bit, um, just because if anyone's listened to the last episode of the podcast, um, I've kind of been fully um, occupied with activist work uh, regarding what's been happening in Burma, what's been happening in Myanmar, so um, you might be aware of that already. But when um, London Podcast Festival got in touch and said that they would like us to come down, um, obviously we said yes. Um, you may have noticed that my usual co-host, Hung Black, is not here. She was un- unavailable. I'm not Hung. No. I'm not Hung. <laughs> but we, we have a wonderful, wonderful uh, guest co-host for the evening, who is the lovely um, Viviao. And she is representing herself, obviously, but she's also <laughs> representing the amazing Be Seen, which is the, let's get this right, Britain's... East and Southeast Asian Network. Correct. And Viv is now going to tell you a little bit more about Be Seen. Thanks, Bimi. Um, can I just ask, how far down the list was I in terms of guests, co-hosts? <laughs> I really want to know. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, what do you mean, I mean? You meant to say the top. You were pretty near the top, honestly. Oh, okay, okay, right, okay, fair enough. At least you're honest then. Um, my name is Viv Yao. Um, I come from Manchester, in case you can't tell by my accent, actually Warrington, but we just say Manchester to all you London folk. Um, I am co-founder of Britain's East and Southeast Asian Network. We are a grassroots charitable organisation founded by six angry Asian women looking to fight racism. Um, so Amy, one of my co-founders, is here in the audience actually filming me right now. Uh, (laughs) um, And we essentially came together to stop the media from depicting East and Southeast Asian people in COVID-related media. Um, We were kind of used as the scapegoat. Anyone who's racialized as Chinese were used as a scapegoat for being blamed for starting COVID. Um, And so we came together... Uh, us angry Asian women um, and started Be Seen and uh, this month we have launched EC Heritage Month so there's not actually a month or anything a day in the UK calendar that recognises East and Southeast Asian culture and so we were like why don't we do something about it? So we launched and it started now, it started in September to essentially celebrate everything East and Southeast Asian. So if you check out our website on bcn.co.uk, there's a whole um, calendar of events where there's virtual events, there's real life events. What are those? Like, this is weird, isn't it? That we're all here in this room together. Um, And essentially it's to celebrate, acknowledge East and Southeast Asian culture, everything, history. Um, And there's a chance for us just to get together and chat and just have fun 
1998, there was, the, as Viv says, there's a, a calendar of events all month. There's going to be all sorts of amazing things. There's art, there's comedy, there's culture, um, there's food. There's lots of lovely food events coming up as well. So just go to Be Seen and you can find other things that you can attend and, you know, spread some EC joy, which is the, the other hashtag that yeah. we're going to get right, which is E-S-E-A joy. So there you go. Um, so, yeah, now I'm going to turn to my... Yeah, our lovely guest who's been patiently waiting at the side. Um, I would like to introduce to you all uh, Mr. James Wong. He is a self-described professional plant geek, broadcaster, best-selling author. James, thank you very much for joining us. I just realized I needed to pick up the mic for this to work. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much for having me. Um, so, You've just been in the States, um, and obviously we've just been talking about pandemic and all that kind of stuff. What, what's it like traveling in the time of coronavirus? So I thought it was um, going to be a lot more challenging than it actually turned out to be. So I've just been in the States, but just previous to that, I was in Germany, and just previous to that, I was in Portugal. Um, restrictions are pretty relaxed and actually more relaxed than I would like them to be. Right. So you have to test before and after every event and you have to fill in tracing forms and there's actually a lot of paperwork that you have to do beforehand. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's pretty much the same. Um, mm -hmm. Some empty flights, but certainly the flight coming coming and going to the States completely packed. Um, and then you talk about social distancing and yeah. you're like on the tannoy and you're like there's someone one centimeter away from me on both sides so what are you talking about <laughs> but, but uh yeah you have to also be vaccinated of course yes yes just yeah. so you know we're all vaccinated and we've all done the lateral flow testing yeah. so you're not a risk from us at least um and and, and just um the other thing obviously because i've been stalking you on social media and that's okay. how i know you've just gone back from uh, america um you were also saying recently that you found that your wikipedia entry was unreliable at best so, oh, yeah. Yeah. This shit me up because I was like, fuck, all I've done is Wikipedia research on you, James. Well, I mean, I, I, I gotta start off by saying I'm not Wikipediaing myself. Yeah, <laughs> like, likely people story. Will, people will say to me, oh, so, you know, you uh, did you go to matches in Twickenham often? And I was like, what are you talking about? I, do you think I'm like a rugby? Is it rugby that they, they play there? I don't know. And and it'll come out over and over again. And I'm like, why do people keep asking me? And then they said, I, I got it off you know, Wikipedia that you live in Twickenham on an island. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure Twickenham is a suburb of Southeast London or West, Southwest London. I don't know if there's an island there anyway. So there's, uh, there's, there's lots of um, things that aren't true, apparently. On but what, have you Googled yourself ever, James? Be honest. I, 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 when I first started working in TV, I did Google myself. <laughs> But the problem is, you just get a whole bunch of other Asian people because right, you know the yeah. surname Wong. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing special James, about that, and yeah. there's a whole bunch of other James Wong. I was going to say, right. there's like director of at least one of the Final Destination movies. Yeah, and I get so much trouble for that. <laughs> people angry from Mexico what, in Spanish. How bad the films are. Yeah, and they really, and I'm like. You've seen the picture, right? You know I'm not <laughs> 70 years old. Like, hopefully, you can see. I mean, I know we don't age. Just get back to you go, I'm sorry, Mr. Wong, that death was totally ludicrous. I cannot believe that happened. So, there's, yeah, there's a lot of um, people are very angry about a Dragon Ball series of films, which I, I have never seen, but I, I am re solely responsible for Anyone here yeah. that has come here thinking that this was the director? <laughs> oh, no, leave. they're all walking out. <laughs> Okay, so let's try and find out if anything's actually accurate. So on oh. your Wikipedia entry... Is this a game show? <laughs> we're we're getting a dialogue. It's been it. We are. So it says that you were an ethnobotanist. 
Yeah, that's actually legit. They did make Can that up. Can you explain what an ethnobotanist is yeah. for the assembled so, crowd? Well, I have not made up that term, and it does definitely sound like a made-up term. <laughs> um, so there are uh, botanists, are plant scientists, um, and there are many different specializations within that. So, for example, you might study how plants are related to each other genetically and how they all fit into uh, each other on the tree of life. So that would be a plant taxonomist. Uh, You might study how plants work together in an ecosystem. You might be a molecular biologist and you're you're actually not looking at the plant itself, but like maybe the mechanics of what happens inside each cell. Cellular structure and stuff. That's all too smart for me. (laughs) Um, So ethnobotanists basically look at the human use of plants, uh, whether that's for food or medicine. It was coined in the late 19th century. So it was originally the study of the botany of other cultures. So that's why it was ethnobotany. It's half anthropology, half botany. Um, But the reality of what happens is that every culture in the world, apart from the modern West, doesn't see plants as... Every culture that sees plants has not seen them as something that you put in a window box. Uh, They wouldn't see them as as just ornamental dressing. They actually use them. Uh So essentially, studying the botany of other cultures was trying to figure out do they have the next cure for a horrible disease? Do they have something that could fuel the next big industry? Um, and so that's what we study. Okay. And how does that differ from horticulture? Uh, oh, so they're really different. Okay. Um, okay, so horticulture is the growing of plants. Uh-huh. So it's if you were a gardener to be able to grow them, or it could be if you are uh, someone who grows apples for a living, an orchard, so it's not just gardening. Uh, gardening is a sort of an ornamental aspect of horticulture. Mm-hmm. Horticulture is the growing of plants. Right. Now, many botanists have no idea how to grow a plant because they only look at cells under a microscope. Right. In fact, some of them, they won't even have a plant in the house because no. it reminds them too much of working. So they, they, they are like, <laughs> wow. yeah, I get like, what's wrong with you? Um, because I'm so fascinated about them that like I'm interested in all aspects, yeah. but particularly their use. So medicine, food, uh, horticulture to the extent where you're actually studying how people have a, uh, you might look at bonsai, for example, and the cultural importance that bonsai has in Japanese society. If you were understanding it like an art form, that would be uh, ethnobotany. If you were understanding it so you could do it, that would be horticulture. But, but you're kind of both then, you're not? Um, so I'm, I'm trained as an ethnobotanist and I like horticulture. Right. I wouldn't say that that's uh, it's anything I'm trained in. Right. But I uh, am sort of obsessed with plants, like to the point where I'm not really interested in anything else. <laughs> and so I have learned that like there are things you can do to make things look pretty with plants. Are they better yeah. than humans? Absolutely. Why do you think I like them? <laughs> <laughs> I live with 500 houseplants in a, in a one-bedroom apartment in West London. I, I mean, I, I study them so I don't have to talk to people. <laughs> just, just so you know, so before this, we were having a discussion with James in the green room, and he was saying to us that, you know, if there were no animals in the world, we'd be fine. It's fine, you know, we'd, we'd cope, but without plants, we'd be screwed. So, you know, firmly... So just so they don't think I'm a monster, <laughs> it would be bad for the animals. I'm not, like, advocating, like, some kind of animal genocide. But if they all... Di- because this isn't Twitter... Um, <laughs> If they all disappear tomorrow, (laughs) if they all disappear tomorrow, civilization could continue in a modified form. If all plants disappear tomorrow, we'd all be dead by next week. That's that, and that's the reason why plants are so important. And yet, for every one plant science student, there's 500 animal science students. Mm. So there's a huge disparity between interest in a subject and its actual value to civilization. Um, And plants are the, people think about them, they dismiss them as ornamental objects. 
But they're really um, the solution to every single problem that our species faces for our continued survival on the planet, from climate change to pandemics to feeding ourselves, like literally everything has boiled down to plants. And I just don't think people know that. So, I mean, yeah. that's why I'm slightly obsessed uh -huh. uh, with, you know, hoping to convince more people that that's something that we should care about. That's something you might okay. want to study or invest in uh, or, or just learn more about. Okay. So, so you said that, like, so if all animals were gone, we would keep going. What about the bees? People keep going on about oh, the bees. Oh, yeah. So, Tell okay, of bees. course, bees are important. Yeah. And there are many, and yeah, just, just all for Twitter. So, there are, <laughs> <laughs> there are earthworms and stuff are important to soil life and all kinds of other microbes. Yes, 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 they're important. Okay. However, they are not as important as sometimes, like you see on social media memes. So, relatively <laughs> few plants. Um, are reliant on bee pollination, and they're not the plants that really fuel humanity in terms of calories. Okay. Um, so we are essentially a grass seed eating species. We rely, 60% of our calories come from uh, maize, rice, and wheat, mm -hmm. and none of those are bee pollinated. So no. of course we would be in trouble if they all disappeared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if all plants disappeared and we had bees, we couldn't survive. So if you're gonna pick one thing that we rely more on, we're not gonna be eating bees at any time. So um, plants are more important right. in more ways, in every possible way than animals so are. So what you're saying is we shouldn't use memes as educational resources. Yeah, imagine though. that, imagine that. Anyway, so I'm just, I'm not doing this to troll zoologists, <laughs> but it's also because zoologists are kind of cool and they have social skills and botanists don't. <laughs> I, and I think it's high time that someone stuck up for you know people who can't make eye contact uh, <laughs> unless it's through a microscope. So, talking about kind of eye contact, etc. Can, can we talk a little bit about your media beginnings, right? Yeah, okay. So I'd like you read a panicked face for people. Yeah, I am. I am kind of panicked. Okay. Um. Okay. So, firstly, right. So, when Grow Your Own Drugs came out. Right. Mm. I'm assuming that was a deliberately tongue-in-cheek title. Yeah. I was would, that your idea? No, I would love to claim credit for that, but <laughs> I'm, I'm rubbish with titles. I'm really bad with them. But when someone approached me with it, they actually had two titles. Um, and I don't know, I'm sure I'm going to get sued for this. But okay, so this was being pitched to the beep, like you heard it here first, but please don't repeat it to anyone or I'm, I'm busted. It's a long don't, time don't ago. Don't tell anyone, don't tell okay. anyone. Good this isn't being recorded. So this was being pitched to the BBC and Channel 4 and someone approached me with it. And the BBC pitch was called Grow Your Drugs. Uh -huh. The exact same show was being to pitched to Channel 4 as Garden Doctor. And you'd think that Channel 4 would go for the more like controversial edgy. or spiky yeah. And I'm like so not controversial and edgy. Um, <laughs> but I preferred, much preferred Grow Your Own Drugs as a title. Not only because I think, you know, if you're flipping through a schedule, like, you might actually look at it. Mm -hmm. um, but also because I'm not a doctor. And doesn't, it doesn't matter that it takes place in a garden. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually call it, calling it Grow Your Own Drugs is really important. Yeah. Because what it says is that plants aren't somehow like people have a big black line in their minds between what they what they separate um natural medicine mm. on one hand maybe a bit fuzzy maybe a bit eco maybe doesn't work or maybe safe and natural and superior mm -hmm. and on the other side you might have you know clinically proven efficacious yeah. uh, or terrible big farmers going to kill the world yeah and i think that's that's a cultural big black line it doesn't exist in reality and um plants are drugs um, you know, 50% of the most commonly prescribed pharmaceutical drugs were originally derived from natural origin. Right. Uh, this includes, you know, cancer drugs, uh, heart disease, like the, mo the leading malaria cure was mm -hmm. isolated from a plant. And it's important that people know that there isn't that differentiation. Mm. And because there isn't it, you can't say just because it's natural, 
it's also safe. You mm, have to treat yeah. them with the same amount of respect. Mm -hmm. So when I see you know influencers nowadays who you know have like flowers on all their cakes and sometimes they're toxic, yeah. and you just think you've never eaten that cake because you would be very very sick if you did that. <laughs> And hopefully no one is going to try and replicate what you just did because it looks pretty. Do you ever call um, it out? Do you ever yeah, I call it out comment? all the time. Right. But it's how do you call it out where you're not, not saying it in the tone like really I just arsy, said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're saying, you know, maybe you might want to consider that, like, Don't taking that down people. or <laughs> saying use an artificial version, like yeah. an artificial replica. <laughs> the thing is, they obviously don't eat their stuff yeah. because otherwise they wouldn't be having a post the next day because they'd be very, very, like, you know, they would be trapped in the loo. I mean, um, it's, <laughs> it's funny because, like, I'm in a bunch of um, Facebook groups. Um, I, I don't bake at all, but I'm in a, a group called Cakes with Threatening Auras, which is amazing. <laughs> That's basically every cake I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so looking like that. But some of them are absolutely insane. And there was one that I saw once, and I think it was covered. Is, was it Baby's Breath? Yeah, Gypsophila. Yeah, and there was actually quite a lot of comments from people saying, oh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. So, so I think people that have the assumption that flowers are natural and therefore lovely. And actually, flowers are um, disproportionately not toxic because they're generally not around for a very long time. Oh. And uh, plants only put toxins in things as defense compounds. Right. Um, so they're there to prevent them from being eaten. Flowers are generally not there for very long. So they're usually found in like roots and bark and sap and things like that. Uh -huh. And also flowers are there for bees to pollinate. So they generally don't pack them full of things. Yeah. <laughs> However, sometimes you can, you know, you can get a deadly nerve toxin that would kill lots of people yeah. in the size of one slice of cake. And I've certainly seen those on there. So it's really important to be responsible. So for that very reason, you know, when we made growing drugs, every second word was a caveat. Yeah. Um, to flag up that, you know, don't take this if you have this condition. Mm. And, you know, people were sort of, oh, why did they make you do that? I'm like, no one made me do that. I was there being like, you have to be responsible with this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the botanical world is amazing in its power and potential. But for that very reason, you have to treat it with respect. And, and kind of related, do you look at, and, and are, are you knowledgeable about, like, mushrooms and fun, fungi? No, so, stuff? okay. So everyone asks, like, the number of times people send me pictures, and I feel bad that yeah. I've got to say that fungi are not related to plants at all they're right. actually more closely related to people Ooh. um like they have much wow. more like much more dna in common with us three than they do with any other vegetable that's they, just they play by completely different rules they have their own that's kingdom insulting, but yeah okay. it's 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 not like they actually have quite similar properties to like insects right um mm. they're even like similar um, anatomy in oh, terms gosh. of like what the chemicals they're made out of um, so no, I can't help you with fungi. Okay, no, that's my. Yeah. There are there are mycologists okay, who are yeah. like a special type of geek. Right, right. They're like right. way worse than botanists. Make they make us look cool. <laughs> so and they're like, like the next level down. So hang on, do botanists bully mycologists? Then is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. So so the historically people thought that um, that fungi were plants. Right. So historically, a lot of the old institutions which study them are linked. Uh -huh. So for example, in Kew Gardens, there is a special uh, fungarium. Uh, there is a, a, my amazing colleague of mine, Lee, who works there, who is a, used to be a botanist and has jumped ship and is now a mycologist. There are actually way more uh, different types of fungi on Earth, and we haven't discovered half of them, and they do all kinds of incredible things. Yeah. And we tend to be housed in the same institutions, but actually they really should be in London, London Zoo or the Natural <laughs> History Museum. They're not actually related to us in any way. Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh, Wow. I think we need to learn more about this kind of hierarchy. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, so yes, and, and going on about your kind of your media beginnings as well. So you you had your first TV show when you were twenty seven years old. Is that right? Yeah, but that's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I did. Um, 
But I remember, I, I read an interview where you said that you were worried about being recognised in Tesco. I'm still worried about that, but it doesn't happen very often, so that's a very good thing. But you know the two places that happens, and it happens a little bit less now, but the two places that happens, Asian places really? and gardening places. Aww. And then when you have the, like, the crossover, it's the worst. <laughs> Old Asian ladies at a certain time in my oh. life always wanted me to, like, to hook me up with their daughters. So wherever we, like this is when I was in my 20s. Uh, they looked different then. <laughs> they were like... <laughs> The pictures would come out, and it was just like you have to smile and like be. You know, when you're meeting your um your high school friends' parents for the first time, yeah. it was basically me having to do that all over the world. Oh my uh, god! And so, yeah, I really hate. I mean, I I'm the last person to want to be on a soapbox to talk, as right. most botanists don't. I just want to ha have people more interested in plants. Um, so yeah, I. I it never really happened, but yeah. when it does happen, it's the worst. Like when people want a selfie, yeah. I just want to die inside. <laughs> See, and then you've got to smile. You so can't act later. like you want to die. See, I'm surprised. You've got to act like you're delighted. Uh, I am surprised because, I mean, I, you know, you are handsome, right? There's oh, no denying it, you. right? Here's her daughter's number. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I just assumed you, like, kind of, I mean, now you're going to get offended. But, you know, like James Martin has, a, a, like, groupies. He has, I just assumed. <laughs> you're I, linking me to James Martin? <laughs> God. No, no, I mean, no, no. I don't like my photo, but I'd like it better than his. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? It's like you've been famous for over a decade, let's be fair, right? And and I just assumed you had like a fan club oh, and people no, following I mean, you around. But, well, the thing is, like, I, I, I um, don't talk about myself in any of these, like today. Um, but <laughs> I, so like, for example, I have an Instagram feed which hasn't got a single, single picture of me on it. It has right. a picture of me because I was told you have to have it on like your bio so people know it's you. Uh -huh. um, but I don't have any other pictures. And what I talk about is the subject I'm interested in. I never, like, I'm not going to do like, I was once asked, this was a long time ago, to do Strictly. <gasps> and my agent l asked me, and then like she asked me in person, and she could obviously see that like I just wanted like blood drain from my face. <laughs> I was looking for an escape, and then she she told me that she asked me just because she wanted to see the reaction. I was, oh, so I was actually asked, but like she only asked me because she wanted to see up. how horrified. Yeah, um, and then she just like pissed herself talking about you know how to look good in sequins, and like I just I just think there's something horrible about that whole experience, you know, because you'd basically can you imagine if you were someone who was like actually legit famous and like couldn't catch the tube without and then when people if if it ever happens like maybe I'll do a book signing signing in a talk mm. where maybe they obviously they would recognize you if they've turned mm. up for that yeah. when you have a queue of a significant number of people, you know that the last person in that queue has actually made an effort to turn up that day, yeah. and they they actually you know, find what you've got to say interesting, mm. and then they've waited for ages, and then they get to you, you can't be disinterested in what they have to say. No. You know, you yeah. owe it to them. Um, and so, I mean, but I find it, it just, like, it takes a piece of me away each time <laughs> I have to, I'm just like, I want to go home and stroke my terrariums. <laughs> like, um, we were talking about having, like, selfies taken with James, and he was acting like we would be taking a part of his soul away I mean, that's him. literally what you were doing. So. Just, just so... <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not to be like weird and like um, over modest or anything. But you yeah. know, there. That's the bad side if it ever happens of my job. Yeah. The good side is, you know, I, I've just been in the states where I've never been, mm. looking at corn over five hundred miles, <laughs> and to me, it's that's like watching heaven. corn in a warm bath. It's like the <laughs> best thing. It's like. Maybe that was a bit off color. So this is the reason why. Um, corn, corn, same thing. <laughs> so it was, you know, like I got to talk to experts that I only know 
as names on the top of PDFs. And to me, that's like meeting Attenborough, you know, to be like, oh, and how did you make the discovery? Because I only know the formal, like, pie chart of your discovery or the, the graph. I want to know what it felt like when you made that discovery, which changed the world. Um, so, you know, I got to do that, and that's the amazing thing. And then sometimes I have to talk to people who, who aren't botanists, and that's okay, too. <laughs> like, like us, right like now. Yeah. So, okay, so you're, you know, you're painting a picture. You're, it seems that you are quite humble. I have to say, from my perspective, so... We thought you were going to be a dick. Oh, it's a mass... <laughs> it's all affected. No, no, it's no, all no. affected. No, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just sitting at home, like, buffing very, myself. Very, <laughs> a very small story from, like, a billion years ago. So, basically, a friend of mine used to run the store called Baldwin's in Elephant and Castle. Oh, yeah, okay, I know them. Um, yeah, well, you do, because he said that <laughs> you once came in for a book signing, and he said that there was a crowd down the street coming to see you. Yeah, and, there was. Yeah, and so, and, and, and he, you know, our friend didn't say anything about whether you were a dick or not. But, oh, <laughs> but that's never a good that. sign. That's never <laughs> no, no, a good no, no. sign. But basically, he, he said that, that it was like the best sales they'd had in months because you were there so you'd brought yeah. such a huge crowd so and I remember saying to, to my husband at the time I was like oh my god our friend had a celebrity in his shop yeah it's so. a very generous use of the word <laughs> celebrity um well yeah so you know it's hard to not to be a dick about it if you're an introvert so like yeah it's so it's just such an amazing opportunity and it was so nice that people came and I think more importantly like we all work as a team I'm the only person you see everyone else does all the hard work like right. when I turn up they've already been there when I go home they're, all, they're, they're still going yeah. and like it's amazing that you know if you work in an industry that actually does you know apparently they, did, they were doing a clinical trial on hops in New Zealand and they had to halt the clinical trial because the show played in New Zealand and they ran out of hops because I used it in a recipe and that's just like wow. Whole, I mean, terrible for the child, but also amazing for <laughs> like everyone who worked on it. And it was like, oh my God, pe you know, this like media actually does change how people think about things and can lead to positive outcomes. That's, you know, it made all my like 3 a.m. stirring a pot, you know, wishing this recipe would work, knowing mm. I had to film it at 7 a.m. the next day. Mm. It made all of that stuff worth it. Um, but at the same time, you know, like it's, it's, when you've got 300 people, it is actually really difficult on the last person yeah. to act <laughs> as excited as you maybe were on the first person. You, um, you're not going to break their heart, though, are you? So you got to. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm sounding like one of those terrible <laughs> people that tries to overtly play the modesty, and I'm that's just trying no, to be no, honest. No, 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 you don't. Sorry, botanist and social skills not very good. Um, we're yeah. actually we're going to take it back to your childhood, James. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. So you talked about growing up in Southeast Asia and like going around the garden with your grandma and using it like a supermarket, which I, I love the idea of. Um, can you talk more about your experience growing up in Southeast Asia and being in that yeah, environment? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, to an extent, when I, I used to feel like I used to come up with an origin story, I used to feel pressure for that. Because the first question I would always, and this is credit to you guys, you did not ask this question. The first question I always get, like whether it's, you know, like a, a cab driver who asks you what you do, or like a, in a media interview is, oh, so what made you interested in plants? And I used to feel like I had to come up with some, oh, my grandma took me around the garden, which she did. But... <laughs> I, I was like, well, well, she took everyone. Like, I have like a thousand cousins. Like, yeah. I come from a Catholic <laughs> Malaysian family. None of them are interested in plants. Mm. And then I used to feel like pressure that I had to come up with that, to say that. Yeah. Because that's what people wanted to hear. Yeah. But then I asked my brother, like, Paul, has anyone said to you, Paul, 
so what made you interested in football? <laughs> and like no That's one has, so I, I, I called him up and I asked him and he's like, no one says that, James, because football's interesting. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I, I cannot even imagine a universe in which I could find, I've tried to find football interesting. I've sat there, I've asked all the stupid ass questions. I have no understanding of how anyone would like football. And I appreciate that people do like it, but that's not me. So I think it's the opposite. I think it's weird that people aren't interested in plants. And I think the question of asking me why, like what happened, did you have, because the question usually is, <laughs> did you trauma? have an influential teacher? Does it run in your family? You know, all of this stuff, no one asked that about football. No. And it's because people assume plants are boring. And then I, I like, it took me ages, because I, I, this is the kind of thing that keeps you up at night. How come people aren't interested? Mm. And so when I asked my contemporaries when I was in my 20s, their answer would be, their first memory of, being, of plants was being dragged around a garden center, and they were, you know, like, like the hand in the air, like four years old, and like seeing like boxes of different things that was like pink, yellow, green. And I was like, oh, you see plants like I see soft furnishings. <laughs> like they're pretty outdoor yeah. objects that mm. die, because they're actually worse than soft furnishings, yeah. and you have to replace, and if you don't do all the right things, it's tricky. But I see plants in a different way, because in Southeast Asia, people still use them for things. I mean, they do here, but in, in Southeast Asia, it's to a greater extent. Um, so when you walk around the garden there, it, it might be pretty looking, but it's like, this will get rid of your headache, or you know, two seconds of origami later, this palm leaf is a hat. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then like, my grandma would do that, and um, the way I see it is, if you walk around a supermarket, the tins of things actually look quite pretty. And if you landed from an alien civilization, you might think that a supermarket's much like an art gallery. There are beautiful things designed to look great on shelves, mm -hmm. but have no idea that there's anything in them and you could use them for things. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe it's, there's a more of a handicap in the West to being able to understand plants for what they really are. Because if they look like microchips or crude oil, we would have no problem believing that they were useful. But because they're pretty, we just like, you know, beautiful people, not always very smart, right? Ooh. So plants that like, <laughs> <Cut> that <bit>. <laughs> so plants because they look nice, you might dismiss them for being right. inconsequential. Yeah, so, yes. yeah, maybe there's something to do with that. Is that what well, was that thing about how if you've got stuff cluttering up your house, you only keep it if it's either beautiful or useful, which yeah. kind of is a very binary way of looking at things. Exactly, because plants are both. Yeah. I think it's yeah. actually the worst problem plants have. They're too nice looking. Mm. So everyone assumes they're vacuous. Yeah. Um, mm. But they actually are amazing things that do th the reason why we survive on our planet. Like literally everything we're wearing, yeah. everything we've eaten today, um, like the, the very way we see the world, the fact that we have our eyes on the front of our head, mm. and the fact that, you know, I can see that your dress is like a reddish shade. Can't describe exactly what kind of red. <laughs> Um, because men are uh, statistically significantly more colorblind than women. Okay. But the reason why I can detect that red and it's different from uh, a green top that I've been looking at the audience is because of coevolution with plants. Um, so, like, literally every, like, the fact that we have an appendix, like, everything, the fact that we have certain food flavor, uh, flavor preferences, mm -hmm. it's all down to millions of years of coevolution with plants. We're just sometimes unaware of it. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Did not know. I've that. learned so much. Yeah. You know, if you uh -huh. take, sorry, I, I get distracted. If you on. take some Skittles and you hand them at an audience, I've yet to do this because you'd actually have to count the different colored Skittles. Yeah. The red ones always go first, the purple ones always go second, and the green ones always go last, unless there are blue Skittles. And there are never blue Skittles because yeah. no one eats them. 
Um, and there are special Facebook appreciation groups mm -hmm. for red Skittles and red M&Ms. You can buy at a premium price packets of just red M&Ms. Really? And just red I don't know yeah. if there's like a factory somewhere where people are separating them out. Uh -huh. And it's because we have a color preference that's based on if things are red, they're generally ripe yeah. and higher in nutrients and higher in sugars. If things are green, sometimes they can be toxic. So that, that high preference for red, if you're looking, if you take a bunch of blokes um, strawberry picking, they usually come back with significantly less than a bunch of women, and that's because women have much better red-green color differentiation. Oh, wow. And it basically allows you to zoom in and find calories like really quickly in a, in a mixed color environment. Um, so, you know, and the reason why a Ferrari is red or pillar boxes are red, mm. things, danger signs, things we want people to see, we paint them red yeah. because we have this residual memory of being on the Serengeti trying to find red objects. Right. If, you, if you want people to eat more in a restaurant, you paint it red. Wow. Um, so it's basically our whole internal programming is based on plants. But, no, you know, people will say, oh, have you made a deck then? Or, you know, <laughs> or have you planted carrots? And I'm like, well, I can. But that's not the interesting thing about yeah. them. The interesting <laughs> thing is I can tell you everything about who you are through millions of years of coevolution with plants. So you were wow. saying about, like, Skittles, it's blue Skittles, yeah. always the last. Is, is that why blue flowers are quite rare? Yeah, so blue flowers are... How did you know that? <laughs> did you look at my Twitter? Because I put that up like a few days ago. <laughs> so blue flowers are very rare, and edible things are particularly rare. Right. There's actually one thing from Southeast Asia, the butterfly pea. We've got a lot of Asians Ooh, in. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So that, 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 is, um, that is quite blue, and is used mm. in like quay and things like that. Yeah. Um, but there's extremely disproportionate. It's quite difficult to make the color blue biologically. Okay. Um, so it's really rare. And for that reason, you know, my brother's a chef. Everything is blue in his work, like mm. plasters, kitchen roll. Uh, because yeah. if it fell in something, you could find you it. Could fish it out. Yeah. Exactly. And that's <laughs> yeah. not an accident. It's not like people don't like the color blue yeah. for an artistic reason. Yeah. They don't like it for an instinctive reason. And that instinctive reason is pants. Wow. wow. Is that why you asked for all red Skittles in your dressing room? Exactly. <laughs> right, I was there in, in my ballroom of them, <laughs> like at Ikea, but red Skittles, <laughs> doing backstroke. Amazing. Uh, actually, just connected to what you were saying about like your origin story and how people always ask you, you're never really sure what to say. Are you not tempted to troll people and just make just the maddest stuff yeah, up? Yeah, that could have been a lie, the yeah. Skittle yeah. thing. I mean, like, or, or like really take the piss and, you know, Align yourself to like Shang Chi and the Ten Rings. Just, <laughs> just, just make I think up something people would probably believe it because sometimes they people would think would. that we're all the same. So, um, <laughs> like, we have a hive mind. Yeah. Um, so, like, well, no, I, I think that you know the factor is living in the tropics. So you're, mm. you only like so. For example, people have this assumption that medicinal plants are plants that are like up the Amazon in a right. canoe, like they're really far and hard to find on the tops of the Holy Grail, basically. Yeah. Mm. All of the evidence for, like, whenever they've been tested, 99.999% of medicinal plants are weeds. And there's a reason for that. So, firstly, weeds live in tough environments and have to evolve all these cool chemicals to allow them to evolve those environments. Oh. But partially because we only know the properties of plants we've experimented with. Right. And we experiment. If you've got six kids, and in most uh, traditional societies, women hold all the knowledge about plants. And it's usually women who have six kids who can't trek off anywhere if one of them's ill. Yeah. They have to take a dandelion or a nettle or something growing in their immediate environment right. and use them. So 
Because, I mean, all of this kind of, it, it, it strikes me, I'm, again, I'm going to say something, you might be offended, but it's all a bit kind of Ray Mears to me, as yeah. in, you know, just kind of going out to your garden and <laughs> grabbing yeah. a few things and curing yourself. Well, I mean, that's certainly how it's pitched here. I don't yeah. think in Asia people have the same idea. Like, yeah. you know, people will, people, and people don't, certainly don't have the big black line. They'll quite happily take an aspirin mm. and honeysuckle tea. Right. And have a, a belief that they both work and not, perceive not pitch one off against the other right um so i think it there's there's something about cultures which haven't and that, that used that's nothing unique about asian culture yeah that's something we used to have here before the industrial revolution yeah, yeah. and it really until quite recently like the last thing we've got left is um i don't know like chicken soup and maybe a hot toddy those <laughs> are the last <laughs> traditional recipes left but we once would have had loads so it's kind of interesting because i know you were saying about how like you know they shouldn't be that black line yeah. but then you also think about i think one of the reasons stuff like herbal remedies floral remedies possibly have a bad reputation in this country or in the West generally is that I think there's a kind of conflation and overlap with homeopathy. Yeah, ab yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and um, there is, there's definitely uh, an idea that something is better simply because it's natural. Yeah. And I would, I, although I do think that's a universal to an extent, yeah. I think it is much more prevalent in the West. Right. So, and that, what that means is if something is natural, it's automatically better for you. Mm. And that can lump in all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, there's a huge amount of evidence to say if you, if you want to find a chemical that has biological activity, uh -huh. you go to the natural world. And the reason isn't because it's somehow mystical and wonderful. <laughs> yeah. As I say that often, we eat. This is a segue back in. Um, <laughs> The reason why you go to the natural world is because plants can't run or hide from environmental threats. Mm -hmm. So they have to evolve a completely different evolutionary strategy to protect themselves. And that's chemical weapons. And they've had to do that over billions of years. Yeah. So if you were to set up an experiment with billions of monkeys over billions of years typing away and you supposedly get Shakespeare, that's exactly what happens. You get all of these environmental pressures that are forcing plants to come up with solutions. And it, they may not have a cure for everything, but they certainly are really quick and easy place to find things with biological activity rather than sitting in a lab trying to magically come up with a solution. Right. That solution is probably there if you investigate it. I don't know whether anyone in the audience used to have my mum mum's making like different like chicken soup for example. Oh, no. My Some version of so that. Bad. So I'm Chinese and my mum used to make me papaya soup to make my boobs grow bigger. <laughs> and that was like the thing like hey drink this soup and it'll make your boobs grow. Papaya it, it like didn't the, just work. the fruit. Yeah, the fruit. You'd boil it and it would be a soup. and well, then Like a sweet soup or a savory. Yeah, that actually sounds really good. A lot of, um, yeah, Christopher, <laughs> yeah. But Christopher's nodding there. You, you, your mum wanted your boobs to grow bigger. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, just an example of uh, mums using random... I don't know whether that yeah. feeds into the so, plant world at all. Yeah, there is this idea that um, food and medicine are also really separate. Mm, yeah. And that is, again, a modern Western conception. It used to exist here. It doesn't now. Mm -hmm. But like... In Asia, you'll pick what you're eating depending on how you think it's going to affect your body. Yeah. Okay, sometimes there's no science behind that. Mm. But what there is, is there, there isn't this mystical idea. Mm. There's, you know, like every time you eat, you're making a decision, not just about flavor, but what, about, you know, potentially if it's heaty or cooling, mm. or if you're familiar with those kind of... Uh, that there's kind of terminologies for understanding medicine. Mm. There is that kind of understanding. So yeah. you're more likely to participate in it every day. Mm. We've sort of clawed some of that back in the West by calling things superfoods. 
But, you know, the usually how we'll justify it is by coming up with some colorful and usually completely untrue story about their origin. Mm. Um, but in Asia, they, they, they still exist. Um, as I say, sometimes they're not true. Mm. But, like, I think it's, it's more part of everyday culture and less something that's considered unusual and exotic. Yeah, um, yeah totally. It's like they've, they've boycotted goji berries now, haven't they? Have they? But I've had them in my soup for years. Like yeah. my mum my used to put goji berries in soup for since we were really young, but now it's like the, the new newest thing that everyone in LA does. Yeah, and they're, they're so good. porridge and the oats and all that. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like if you get shiitake mushrooms in mm. a Chinese store, there's like a giant bag for one pound. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe three pounds, something like that. But it's, <laughs> if you go to Waitrose, there's this oh, for five, yeah. like this oh, tiny yeah. little like shot sized one. And it, I find, I find it fascinating with like goji mm. berries, particularly at the height of their boom, you know, like 15 mm. years ago. Mm. They were so expensive and hard to find. Yeah. And then like three meters away in a Chinese store, you could buy a bag as big yeah. as me of them yeah. <laughs> of the same price. And so like this fetishization of different foods and like yeah. what we imbue with meaning. I mean, that's what ethnobiologists study. Mm, like, yeah. why is the same plant in the same city, like a few meters away, considered so different? And mm. it's because of people's culture. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Also, like the things, you know, like there's, um, do you know the neem plant? Yes. So plant tree. I don't mm -hmm. know. So that's it's very popular in India and also in Burma. Um, and it's kind of, I, I don't know, I think it is meant to have some kind of health properties. Yeah, um, it has loads of biological um, properties. But, but we just eat it as a food because yeah. we love it. Um, and a while back now, I think, oh God, it must be like 15 years ago, I remember reading in the news that there was a, a struggle because some big pharma company was trying to patent it. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's, it's when you see those kind of things happening, it just, I don't know, it just makes my head hurt so yeah. much because it's like the West suddenly deciding that, oh, this is something we can, you know, commodify and commercialize and yeah I mean in fact, in fact one of the reasons why so I, I said earlier like roughly 50% of the most commonly used pharmaceutical drugs come from the natural world actually probably statistically many more would mm. the problem is it's because they can't be patented mm. there's no incentive and I People often say this is a negative thing. I think it's just a logical thing about how the world works, right? If you are going to spend years and billions of pounds, probably millions, not billions, testing something to see if it works, no one's going to do that if you finally do that and then everyone else can sell it using the same situation. Mm -hmm. And unless you can patent plants, um, you would never be able to do that. So for that reason, bioprospecting, actually testing the natural world happens less. Even though we know it would provide great solutions, because there's no economic incentive to do it, we don't do that. And that's why we synthesize things so often. Um, mm, bloody capitalism. <laughs> capitalism. Um, <laughs> yep. You know, as you said, you grew up in green spaces surrounded by plants. It was just very normal for you. Um, you also mentioned that now you live in a part of London where your flat is half the size of this room. Yeah, and so this isn't like a big room. <laughs> it's probably, yeah, it's really small. It's a one-bedroom flat. Um, but you've said in the past that you you uh, you have a test garden, and it's, it's your mum's. Uh, is so that yeah, right? Yeah, so this is this is my uh, my my get out clause. So um, I came to a deal with my mum uh, that she didn't like having to mow her front lawn, <laughs> and I was like, I'll do your deal. You won't ever have to mow your front lawn, and you get free vegetables if you allow me to dig it all up. <laughs> uh, and so like now everyone in Croydon like comes past because it's right in the front the back garden's not really suitable for it so I <laughs> tested out when I was writing books about growing interesting things and seeing if you could grow slightly more unusual things yeah. or seeing if you could maybe use um, traditional Asian techniques or traditional Latin American horticultural techniques here uh, you know is there a reason why we use Victorian rules which we know many of them don't work mm. 
Uh, is there a reason why we've ignored those horticultural techniques from other countries? Is it simply because they don't work in this climate? Mm -hmm. Or is it because no one's tried? Mm -hmm. So I basically divided it up and then, yeah, tested it there. So when you hear me talking about my allotment or my family home garden. <laughs> Not yours. It is, it is sort of my allotment. It's just attached to my mom's house and she's family. Um, but it's, it sounds a lot better than, you know, I'm 40 years old and I use my mom's garden. Still have a lawn then? No, she, there's no lawn. It's, <laughs> it's it's just plants. It's just lots of things that I've put in. Um, so yes, and she's very very. I gotta say, my mom is the most patient Aww. and most enduringly yet yeah, tolerant person for putting up with my bullshit. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think there is this perception though that like um, green spaces exist for a certain class, like white middle class yeah, people with large spaces. And we're, recently we've seen a lot more young people, especially if you think about Instagram and how aesthetically pleasing it is, yeah. being more interested in uh, planting uh, and growing things within urban spaces. What do you think about this kind of like this new trend of yeah. young people being interested in plants and like smashing those stereotypes? Yeah, I, so I went to recently, because um, this is the kind of the thing I do for fun. So I went to uh, both the RHS main garden, the Royal Horticultural's main garden at uh, Wisley, uh, and I also went to Kew Gardens. And I, I'm not going to exaggerate in saying that I got a little bit teary because I walked around and I was like, I'm not the youngest person here. <laughs> and you normally, like even until like two you years ago. That's good though, isn't it? If you're yes. the youngest person. I, it was a, I mean, it was good teary, not bad teary. Yeah. <laughs> no, because normally I walk around and I'm like two or even three decades younger than <laughs> most people. Like, and this, this has happened for years. Yeah. And it's not because, you know, I hit a milestone birthday. <laughs> it's because suddenly there were loads of like 20-somethings and loads mm. of really diverse 20-somethings. Mm. And I was just like, We've been trying desperately to get younger people interested and people from different, like more diverse backgrounds for like mm. the last 20 years that I've worked in the industry. And finally it's happening. Yeah. And I think what's really great about it is it hasn't happened because of some industry campaign. Because mm. I've sat on the boards of those industry campaigns and I was like, I can tell you right now, no one cares about what you're coming up with. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I don't say it in a nicer way, but... It's usually like it's usually like oh they don't like horticulture but they're young oh they like vandalism let's have <laughs> a garden where it's exactly the same damn garden with some graffiti in the background <laughs> and like that's literally and you see it at flower shows and you're like you know you're just insulting everyone <laughs> like you're not actually changing your old school horticulture to match mm. what young people are interested in yeah. you're patronizing them mm. um, whereas what's amazing is what's happened is because of things like sh social media. Mm. Because they haven't had to pitch to publishers or big TV bosses. Mm -hmm. They've just done it themselves. Yeah. They've actually been able to figure out what's relevant to them. And mm -hmm. it works if other people find that relevant. So I think that's amazing at being so democratic and opening it up to whole new different types of people mm -hmm. with different ideas that don't have to pander to an, an establishment that has very fixed ideas of who and how and even how you should mm -hmm. feel when you're gardening. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, it's great. Um, it's... It's just such, you know, we've been trying for years as an industry and never really got it because we've yeah. never listened to people. Mm. And you know what? You don't, we don't have to listen to them now because they'll just do it themselves. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, I, and I think it's, it's, it's one thing is actually seeing lots of Instagrammers do it. Mm. And then the other thing is actually seeing people who they've affected change for. Yeah. So I walked around both, like I thought it was a fluke one day when I was at Wisley. I was like, are they doing some kind of cocktail thing? Because sometimes they do. <laughs> to like desperately trying to get young people in. Because, you know, young people <laughs> like drinking. Um, and then... Uh, and then I, when I saw it at Wisley as well, I was like, 
actually, this is a legit thing. Mm. And I think that lockdown has certainly helped if there's mm. a silver lining, because yeah. I think people have become more connected with wanting to see something real in a more virtual world, something mm. authentic. Mm -hmm. They're wanting to, they, they realize that the benefit of being in nature and the measurable biological effects it has on your body. Mm. Um, and it's just, you know, people can, just go to with these gardens. That's not a huge amount of money to go, and they can mm. see the world's best horticulture in one place. So, mm. so yeah. I mean, I genuinely was a little bit like, I'm gonna have to stop and like <laughs> have a little shame cry. <laughs> it is, it is true though, because like you, you talk about like, how like there's certain type of people making those those rules up in the board and deciding who gets to see what, and it's just it's not just obviously the planting world. It, it's like it's everywhere isn't it the systemic kind of racism that we see that gatekeeps people of color people in urban spaces people living in poverty it's absolutely in every single industry like even i work in influencer marketing you mm. know very la-di-da industry but even that it's a very new industry 10 15 years old mm. so much systemic racism you think about all the companies started by the same type of people spotlight the same type of people mm. and like it's just wild to me how this has just been going on for so long and things like social media now are allowing people to have voices and being able to speak directly to their audience and almost bypassing those who have previously been gatekeeping whatever industry we're in i think yeah, yeah. Really, really, i think um, like one of the one of the things is you know sometimes it's really overt and it's intentional and then mm. sometimes that people have no idea yeah. so people will yeah. often in uk horticulture talk about how if it's native it's a beneficial. And if it's exotic, i.e. foreign, it's bad. And you know, native things are mm. better for the environment, mm. they're easier to grow, they're more tolerant of things, and they're less invasive. Mm. And then non-native things are more dangerous, they're kind of wild, yeah. and also they're harder to grow. And it's like, how is it more invasive and also harder to grow? Yeah. Those are two opposite things that you've decided <laughs> to apply to something because you have the subconscious idea that something mm. that's foreign is bad. Yeah. And then something that's native is good. Mm. And p there is more nuance to it, but that's very, like, I'll often hear, like, British things are automatically better. Oh. So, and, you yeah, know, like, yeah. so, for example, I, you know, I live in London. I'm constantly told that we should source plants from the UK because there are fewer, like, uh, uh, there's lower carbon emissions because mm. there's fewer transport miles. And therefore, house plants are really bad because most of them are grown in Holland. Mm. And I was like, all you need to do is look at a map. You don't, just don't look at the map where there's just the UK. Look at a map which actually shows the position of the UK in the world. If I was to be getting plants from the tip of Cornwall or Northern Ireland or Scotland, which you've just said will be better for the environment, they are far further away by your own judgment than Holland is. Mm. And in Holland, they're grown in huge greenhouses, mm. which are all managed in a different way. So they, are, they, they have economies of scale, and that includes carbon economies of scale. Mm -hmm. They have all kinds of different procedures in place to lower carbon. Getting them from Holland is far better than getting them from Scotland. Mm. So if your argument is support British growers, that's legit. Mm -hmm. If your argument is I'm going to be nationalist and I like nationalism, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> if your argument is nationalism equals good equals better for the environment, mm -hmm. th then that, that's not true. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think those things, and people don't think those things in bad faith. I think they just can they assume yeah. it. So yeah. I certainly often assume that, oh, I'm gonna get something local because it's better. Yeah. Not realizing that France is actually significantly more local to me than yeah. Wales, um, for yeah. example. So, I mean, that's the problem. So it's how do you, how do you like tackle that overt stuff, but also tackle that that stuff that people maybe have never thought about, mm -hmm. and then not do that in an aggressive way, like mm. <laughs> like I just explained it, <laughs> but, but you know do that in a psychologically safe way because people don't yeah. learn when they feel threatened. So how do you mm. say? So let's look at a map together. 
<laughs> I like that approach. And I, I think you've got a lot of patience to be able to do that because I certainly don't have the time or patience to do that myself. <laughs> but like talking about like the more kind of like covert forms of that, when, when people asked you this question, but where are you from? Yeah. J James, no, where are you from? From, from. Yeah. Like how, how would you answer that? Well, I have the problem that I don't really know is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, um, I that Shang-Chi origin story. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I say I'm from London now, but I'm, I've been living here, well, a little bit less than 20, 15 years, 16 years. Mm. Um, but, you know, before that, I went to university in Bath and, and uh, in Kent, and I lived in Ecuador previously, and I grew up in Singapore, but neither of my parents were from Singapore because my dad's mm. from Malaysia, and not even close Malaysia, like... Mm you know, one horse town, middle of the jungle in Borneo, yeah. uh, Malaysia. <laughs> and my mum's from Wales, so she's British, but you know, kind of like not English British. Um, so I never really <laughs> knew what to answer for that. And mm. certainly when I was growing up, I would always say I was British. Mm -hmm. And I was 100% convinced of the fact that I was British mm -hmm. till I moved here. <gasps> then I realized, yeah. actually not that British at all. Um, <laughs> So, and was this a good realization or a bad realization? Uh, maybe a little bit of a combination of both. So, I mean, so my mum was kind of part of an expat community, which happens there. But expat communities are kind of like the Gosford Park remix of Britain. So, you know, I was like expecting it to be all like picnic baskets <laughs> and polo and stuff like that when I came here. And okay. I was like, oh no, it's like Boots 3 for 2 deals and horrible Alco Pops in the early <laughs> 2000 when I first moved here at uni. <laughs> And I had this hey, really WKD. Oh, that's the worst. And there's like, this thing called troll juice where you mix blue WKD and like yellow nice. um, uh, Bacardi Breezer or something, and it made it green. Oh, we're there. From the audience, we're millennial kids together. Um, and I had this um, this this housemate who's so nice. And I used to walk down every day, and we'd have breakfast in our shared kitchen, and she'd be like, "Hi, James. You're right." And like the first day, I was like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> and then the second day, it happened again. And I was like, still totally fine. And then on the, like, maybe the fifth day, I was like, listen, lady, I don't know what your problem is. I don't have some kind of disorder. I'm absolutely fine. Will you stop asking me in a patronizing way? And then someone said, you know, she's just saying hello. And, like, and then I had to go backtrack. And then I had to be like, I obviously do have some kind of ragey issue. I'm so sorry. You had to ask her whether she was all right. Yeah, genuinely. and so, I mean, I certainly noticed like things like the, mm. uh, I didn't deal well with the, um, like the, would you like to do this? And I was like, no, I'm fine. I don't, mm. I don't want to do that. And I didn't know it was do it. <laughs> so, like, you know, all of that, like, this is an interesting idea. Yeah. Like, when people in horticulture say, oh, James, you're such a great self-publicist. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I don't really know where to answer. So, I mean, I tend to tell the whole story, and then I feel like I'm being, trying yeah. to exotify my life by telling the full story. <laughs> but um, how, how has that shaped your identity then, especially when you mentioned about, like, feeling not British, because that's quite an interesting concept because what is quintessentially British? Does it have to be a certain ethnicity that then makes you British? Because we all know through history that people of colour have contributed so much to British history. Yeah. So, so what what exactly do you feel, how do you feel about your identity in oh, being in the UK? You've got some good questions. Um, Thank you. So, <laughs> Uh, what I'd say to that is so sometimes because uh, you know I, I often get in trouble on Twitter in a <laughs> racial way so like there's, there's some racism there's a Twitter. lot like imagine there are there, there are one or two 
And one of the things that constantly is brought up, and it's not usually, oh, you eat dog or you cause COVID. It's usually mm. the, the mixed thing. I don't think people can quite handle that. Like they can handle like one stereotype, but they can't well, do because th- you're neither here or there. Yeah, so, they, so they're always like, you, like the one thing they always say is, "You are all you mixed kids are obviously so insecure about your identity that you've mm. got to like lash out, or you know, you yeah. don't belong here and you don't belong there, so you yeah. feel you've got to." And I'm like, "Oh no, I think I belong everywhere." <laughs> There's assumption that we think it's a bad thing. I think yeah. it's a great thing. Yeah. Um, so like yeah. for for a number of things, like I get to be in every club. Um, I get to, you know, really embrace like Malaysian food and be re- and still have like intimate knowledge about okay, this is not a great thing, but British food at the same time. <laughs> um, and like I get so many different options, and I feel I feel like if I didn't have that, I would feel like I led a much more limited life. I didn't have so many different experiences. Mm. Um, and and you know, if you speak different languages, my Chinese is terrible now, but I grew up speaking it, and I was fluent speaking it until mm. I was like twenty. Um, you. When you speak different languages, you see the world in completely different ways because yeah. you like it's like putting different like virtual glasses on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like it's a wonderful thing, uh, mm-hmm. and I feel sad for people who think that they think that I'm going to think it's bad. Yeah. I'm like, you've eaten one flavor of ice cream in the ice cream store. <laughs> I have eaten every damn thing and gone back for seconds, uh, and every kind of sprinkle. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, I think it's it's a wonderful thing. And the other thing is it it, it allows you to challenge certain things. So. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, and I think in a kind of in, maybe slightly internalized racism thing, yeah. I always thought the West was superior with everything mm. because I think that was quite a common idea for my generation in Singapore at the time. Mm. Now I live here, I know it's not. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I, now I used to like, think Singapore was terrible and everything. Mm. Now I look back and think, actually, it does some amazing stuff. Also bad. So let's you know let's let's, let's appreciate all the different yeah. things, mm-hmm. but I don't think you'd be able to appreciate that without the same level of knowledge. Yeah. Um, if you ha- if you intimately know different cultures, you can kind of s- see them for what they are and mm-hmm. appreciate the great things they do and maybe not great things they do. Right. So we actually. Um, we have been, we're talking about something a bit more serious, or racism. Um, and I've definitely had to like call friends in the past because of racism. And like you, you've previously spoken out, you tweeted that racism is baked into the DNA of gardening, the plant world. And you got a lot of backlash from that, like horrible death threats and people saying awful things. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that? Um, because it's, it's usually those people on Twitter with like, boiled eggs as their profile picture still on the mm. British flag in their bio, isn't it? Well, I think it's a combination of two things. Like, I think the first thing you've got to realize is that uh, Twitter is a reflection of the real world, but isn't. But, you know, sometimes, like, particularly with me, I work from home and I work on my own a lot. Mm. It, there can be a tendency to think that it is actually a real replication of the real world because you don't hang out in it that much, particularly yeah. over lockdown. Yeah. So you're, like, stuck in a box and that's your interface with the real world. Mm. So I think... Partially, like, actually, when that happened to me, uh, it happened, like, last October, November. Mm. Had to get police involved. Whenever wow. Amazon would ring the doorbell, I was like, <gasps> oh, they found me. Oh um, it was, like, it was a little so bit terrifying. Um, I actually found it, one of the things about it that was beneficial is to learn how ridiculous social media is. Mm. So it was a post in which I said that, you know, there are aspects of UK gardening culture as previously mentioned, with mm-hmm. things like people assuming native is better, mm-hmm. which we don't, we consider, we don't even know that they're mm-hmm. racist. Mm-hmm. But when you scratch the surface, you realize that the motivations behind that, and then, you know, we could all learn from that. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, sometimes people think when you criticize racism, mm-hmm. you, it's so part of gardening, you're actually consi- 
like you're actually being mean about gardening. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm just saying that in gardening, <laughs> yeah. there are sometimes problems. Yeah. Just like saying in football, yeah. there's nothing yeah. inherently racist about cooking a ball. But yeah. that doesn't mean that, or there's nothing inherently racist about sewing, uh, but there is a problem in the fashion industry. Yeah. And then there's a racism problem in football, yeah. but that's nothing to do with the actual act of kicking a ball. Mm -hmm. So what I um, was surprised about when I first got, you know, surname, bunch of numbers, accounts, mm. putting stuff up. Mm. And then it was obvious that they were um, all run by similar people because there would be almost cut and paste replies. Oh, yeah. wow, okay. And then what happens, second layer, is then you get like B-list angry talk radio types like putting your <laughs> stuff on you know the kind of person that like does gb yeah. news like yeah, so like yeah, like yeah. does a one-off on it yeah. so that happens like basically mm. me but on gb news <laughs> and, then, and then it starts to go like a bit higher mm. and then eventually you get like big fish with six million followers yeah. tweeting it and what i thought was really interesting is they're not stumbling across across my tweet and independently reading it yeah. and going yeah i don't like that mm. i have a problem with this mm. they're going this is a tweet that people are liking. Mm. I'm going to take that and basically cut and paste the text from it because I know that I will get more followers, I'll be more likely to trend, and I will get more money because mm. it's, it, it's um, monetized. Yeah, it's yeah. So it gets to the point where it's basically uh, monetized bullying, like monetized mm. high school bullying, mm. which well, actually makes me feel a lot better about it because it wasn't loads of people... It's not personal. It's never personal. Yeah. It's, they're, it's their marketing. Yeah. Like, they're... they're uh, ability to get paid to turn up on shows depends mm. on their ability to constantly outdo themselves mm. for antisocial behavior. Mm. And, uh, you know, you can disagree with me, and then that's, that's cool, and maybe you can disagree with me in a very forthright way, mm. and maybe you've misread what I've said, or maybe you've read what I've said and you've got it and I was, I was wrong, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But what um, that really shows is that it, it's an industry. So, you, I mean, mm. like, at that point, like, they don't know you. They haven't read what you've said. Mm. They maybe have read what you've said, but they still don't care. It's, yeah. it's a monetized industry. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, there's... And that's happened more than once. Yeah. So you yeah. start to see the same, like, you know, oh, there it goes again. You can actually see the... Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the important thing about social media. And the, the other thing about it is that um, I think social media is so... If you see a neutral tweet sandwiched between two really inflammatory tweets, yeah. mm. you're gonna assume that the middle one is also said with that level of bad faith, mm -hmm. even if it's actually quite neutral. So mm. I think even if it's not being done in that money-making way, it's often being done in an innocent, accidental way. Because I've mm. certainly seen tweets before when I've been like, you know, direct message to mate. Like, did you really mean to say that? And they were like, yeah. no, I didn't say that at all. And I was yeah, like, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah. you know, saw you between other Heat people and thought moment. that. And yeah. I just, I misread it. So my bad, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a certain, of course, uh, algorithms prioritize those tweets. Yes. So they prioritize things that you know are going to make you angry. Yeah. Um, so part of it's just, it's, I mean, all of it's the money. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get a cut of that? Just so <laughs> I, yeah, I, so the number of times people, well, you know, if you negatively tweet in some way, people yeah. will say that you said that to self-promote. And I'm like, how yeah. does that benefit me? Yeah. Yeah. How does that benefit? Like it's, and it's always a money thing because, you know, I'm Asian. So it's always, <laughs> it's always like, oh, you're doing, you'll do this once every three months to earn so much money. I'm like, there are like 20 gardening presenters and only one of them doesn't have a fucking garden. Like, <laughs> only one of them has to dig up his mum's garden at 40 years old. Like, if I wanted money, there'd be other jobs. I'd be an investment banker. Um, so there's always, an, like, it, and it doesn't happen to other people because I follow all the other gardeners. Yeah. They don't get the same, you're doing this for money. Yeah. Of course. 
course. Um, so yeah. there's like there's all these always that stereotype. So so like so far you know we've established that you like plants more than people, and, and <laughs> I'm I'm beginning to understand why you've come to this point. Um, so like you mentioned the lockdown earlier pandemic it sounds like you probably enjoyed it more than most people then yeah i mean <laughs> uh, yeah I, I actually didn't i mean it sounds it's a terrible thing to say because it was obviously horrible for many people yeah, yeah. so i feel guilty thinking it even but actually lockdown wasn't too bad for me i mean i think if i didn't have the plants it would be horrible well, be I, I was gonna say because I, I, I i've been following all of your kind of your indoor gardening adventures so your things like your nano ponds yeah. and your mini terrar ter terrarium how do you say it terrarium 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 yeah. there you go like aquarium Aqua ah. but instead of aqua it's terra that's contained earth rather than contained water. how many house plants do you live with now so i say 500 <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, uh, I've never been heckled for not judged on the number of plants. I have. <laughs> Too much I think, oxygen. I think, yeah. So uh, I, um, I say that it may not be totally true because I got to four hundred and something and then stopped counting and have estimated that. And then yeah. of course the number goes up and down. But I like gardening. So a lot of the conventional narrative the narrative that didn't get anyone on board, was, oh, gardening is so awful. So what we've got to do is make it really quick and easy. Mm. And we'll have a makeover show where like, people quickly do all of this stuff mm. really cheaply and easily because it's obviously a chore mm. that you need to get done with. Mm. That's an assumption that no one has ever gardened has in TV land. Yeah. In reality, if you ask people why they garden, it's communing with nature, it's like having me time, it's being creative, and like they love gardening. So. I design all the things I work on to be high maintenance mm -hmm. because it's the best. I, I like to say it's the best hour of my week, not the worst, but it's <laughs> like the best four or five hours of my day. Right. Um, so I loved it because I got to, you know, try new projects. I got to experiment. And, you know, there's loads of research that suggests that just being in a green environment is so beneficial to your mental health. Mm. But if you walk around a woodland, you're really absorbing it in quite a passive way. And this is, comes from someone who loves walking in woodland. Mm. But you're seeing the miracle of nature and you have no hand in it. It mm. almost might as well be like a VAR experience. Whereas <laughs> in horticulture, you're seeing the miracle of the natural world, yeah. but you're actually having a hand in shaping it. So when you sow seeds, it's, I mean, I use the word miracle a lot, but it's the miracle of life in front of you and yeah. you had a hand in that. Yeah. And when you create things, you're being creative and experiencing nature. Yeah. And to me, that's like a massive double whammy. Yeah. Um, the problem I, is we always assume it's about, you know, uh, posh people with big hair and massive well, gardens, but that's so, not what a horticulture is about. Talking about posh people, <laughs> are you like Prince Charles? Do you talk to your plants? Does he talk to his plants? <laughs> yeah, famously. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, no, bad British points. Um, uh, <laughs> Isn't there uh, research to show that it helps something if you play music? I think there is some research, but relatively obscurely, like from the 70s, not very well done trials. Uh, what we do know is that plants do respond to vibrations, and music mm. is a vibration. Mm. And they'll, they'll famously do that, so that you can manipulate their behavior mm. by playing them different vibrations. I'm not sure that that translates as neatly into music, better mm. growth, or, you know, there's this often idea like heavy metal music is bad for them, whereas <laughs> classical is good. <laughs> and that just shows you the like the imbued cultural oh, ideas that yeah, posh yeah, yeah. white things are good yeah, yeah, yeah. and not yeah. so posh, no, like not so fancy things, mm. modern things are bad. Mm. Like there's no evidence. Plants just detect vibration. Yeah. So I, I don't talk to them, but I am quite emotionally invested in them. <laughs> yeah. I'm definit I've definitely <laughs> cried over things that haven't gone my way with plants. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
just kind of to talk about some of the nicer, more fun things you do when you're, you know, educating people. I, I really love that you use science to educate people on interesting things, but like humorously. Um, so I, I loved learning from you, for example, that the reason that 20% of people don't like coriander is because they're mutants. Yes. Like you. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Who's a mutant here? Yeah. Who, who, who doesn't else? like coriander? Who else thinks Admit coriander it. We tastes like soap? People who don't like Anyone? coriander, put hands your hands up. up. Oh, one person. <laughs> this is just one. I thought there was going to be more than that. So to it's be actually between twelve and twenty percent, depending on oh. uh, ethnicity. Um, right. uh, and and funnily enough, uh, ethnicities who generally use, without making too big generalizations, okay. uh, generally use more coriander, have less people in that population who don't like it. Okay. Um, but there's so flavor is uh, rough. Like there are some genetic changes and perception differences. And there's an aldehyde in coriander that tastes to like roughly 80% of the population citrusy and herbal. Yeah. And to 20% of the population soap-like, mm. detergent, metal. Yeah. Those are the words they used to describe. To me, it reminds me of, you know, when I used to go to the wet market in Singapore. So like, you know, like hose down the dead chickens. <laughs> and they'd like pour bleach, like Clorox down the drain. Mm. Not just Clorox, that's fine. But like the bleach in the grossness. <laughs> that's like the crystallized scent of coriander for me. Um, wow. So it's, yeah, it's and uh, so the, the problem is that that's, that's so far what we know scientifically yeah. mm. in terms of being able to demonstrate it. But there are the occasional unicorn-like person that has hated coriander all their life, like my big brother, and then says you get to 30 and like they it. flipped. Yeah, wow. so I don't understand what that's about because yes. there's an actual identifiable gene, the OR6A2 gene. Oh. Um, that, that there's a variation of it. He's further evolved. Um, he's like become an advanced human. Is yeah, that well, I don't. I, yeah, it's re it's really weird because there doesn't seem to be any like evolutionary reason for it. Yeah, the what's many the things, benefit? Well, <laughs> many things in that family are toxic. Many right. quite close yeah. relatives of coriander are toxic. So right. you presumably have this inbuilt like resistance to all of the things in that family. Mm. Like if I don't like coriander. I probably won't like water hemlock, the stuff that killed um, Socrates. Quite mm. closely related. I imagine that if I was to like bite into some, it would taste horrible to me and spit it out. So I might have a genetic advantage. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like the, the thing is, 80% of people are horrible and 20% of people are quite nice, right? So I like yeah. to think that that's the acid test. How dare you? How dare <laughs> you can join my team, it's fine. You can, you can pretend to hate coriander. <laughs> I will never, never. It's quite funny because the, the name for coriander in Burmese is nanumbin, which means smelly, smelly. Plants. See? <laughs> See? Wow. It's just kind of a bit strange. Sensible Burmese person came up with that name. And then the, the really weird thing is the seeds of coriander are really nice. Ooh, it's the, right. the leaves and, and, and people who like it say they taste quite similar. Mm. Not to me. They taste completely different. Oh, wow. Because I would say they... Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Same I mean, the leaves, herbally. seeds, fragrant, like Coca-Cola-y, like fizzy, mm. like, I, I get, yeah, like that effervescent. Oh, Every really? Like, I like them. Oh, they're um, nice. They're very good. Anyone else? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, just kind of like vaguely connected. Obviously, you know, the name of our podcast, MSG Pod. Yeah. Do you use MSG in your cooking? I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> and I'm trying to find an answer that keeps everyone happy. <laughs> but it's also a true answer. Yes. So I don't have like powdered MSG at home. Mm-hmm. But I do now because you've just, I know, like 500 minus Asian points. I might as well have failed a math exam. Um, so you've just given me some. Yeah. So I now have some. Yeah. But it's not because I have any antipathy towards it. It's just that you can, so I generally don't use salt that much when you can use things that contain it that have other flavors. So you might add like soy sauce to something. Right. And there's no antipathy towards salt. It's just that soy sauce comes with other things. Right. So there's this stuff called Maggie seasoning. Mm -hmm. Which is 
kind of pure MSG anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I love it, uh, and that contains MSG, and I use it. Right, right, right. But I wouldn't like sprinkle it onto things because I, you know, like it comes with other things. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm, you know, this scientifically, man has written six recipe books. Don't buy any of them. <laughs> <laughs> they will have no flavour. <laughs> the, the best thing about Maggie's seasoning is I have a like a I think a family connection to it. My granddad used to call it dut dut. Because it's like onomatopoeia for the sound oh, it makes when it comes out of the bottle. Lovely. So like like you'd say to a child, like yeah, yeah. put dut dut on, and I, oh. and I was like, oh, I had this one better with a bit more dut dut. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and so for now, like in my family, it's still known as dut dut. Uh, so I, I use that. Yeah, I use that a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you've yeah yeah you've absolved yourself because that that's a really sweet nostalgic oh. story. <laughs> Psychopaths are apparently quite good at playing charming. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. We like the plants and a genetic mutant. So. <laughs> Um, so, for those who in the audience, I'm sure, and and me as well, who are not green fingered, so to speak, and I know you have issues with that term because you think that everyone should be green is green fingered. Yeah. Um, what are like the easiest plants for city folk? Oh, to really good question. Look after by. I'm going to assume that we're going to be talking house plants, and the reason yeah. why I'm going to assume this is because everyone, you know, more the vast vast majority of people have a house but not yeah. many people have a garden so yeah. like we're going to try and be as democratic as possible mm -hmm. so there are certain things which are really really difficult to kill mm. the problem is that things are really difficult to kill are generally not very exciting <laughs> um, but if you wanted something that's really cast iron there's actually a plant called a cast iron plant as one of its names really? Aspidistra Perfect. yeah it comes from China oh, nice. um, it's it's uh, it was really popular in Victorian times mm. uh, and it was popular in Victorian times precisely because it can handle really high levels of heat near a fireplace mm -hmm. It could handle really high levels of cold further away in the room. It can handle droughts. It can handle low levels of light. Um, I once ordered some for a garden I was doing at Chelsea Flower Show, and I'd ordered like a sample of it, and it got sent to my mum's house, and she has like a like a cupboard that's next to her front door, like a kind of bin cupboard, and they delivered it in there, and we didn't know, and like six weeks later, I find it, a box, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is not going to be pretty. Took it out, totally fine. Wow. Um, so if it can survive a dark box, the yeah. one thing that plants Six need weeks. is light. Yeah. Six weeks, no water, oh no nothing. Right. Like, it, they're not always the cheapest plants because they're mm. quite slow growing. It's part of how they're so rugged. Mm. Um, but it's, it's indestructible. Uh, there's mm. no position. You could even grow them outside if you wanted to. They're cold hardy. Oh. Um, so aspidistra. Asp they're used in quite often in floristry. So if you right. see those big, wide, um, very glossy leaves, deep green, almost like ribbons, oh. that are folded around usually on the edge of a flower display. You might have roses in the center mm. and these beautiful tropical kind of almost like palm leaves around the outside. Mm, yeah. That's aspidistra. It might cost you like 20 quid versus two quid to buy one, yeah. but they also live long. So you could, mm. you know, hand this down to your grandkids. Mm. Um, and certainly you can buy them on places like eBay. People don't know they're worth yeah. that. Oh, so this is kind of terrible. But um, <laughs> people, you know, people will sell like family aspidistras uh, that might be 50, 100 years old, no not knowing no. that they're worth that much. Oh my God. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, aspidistras are gold for that. See, I knew the name, okay. but the only reason I know the name is from the book. And I can't remember, is it, is it Orwell mm, or Wyndham? It's Orwell. Let Keep the, asp the aspidistra flying? That's correct. But yeah. I didn't even know it was a plant. So. Yeah, so well, they are in like as close as you can get to indestructible okay, they're not going to produce like incredible flowers or anything. But right. if you want something as your gateway Bit drug green. that you don't worry about, right. that you don't have to... People have this thing in horticulture where they worry mm. and they think that everything is going to die. And mm. that's 
if it's gonna die, I better do it so we can get another one. That's, I mean, <laughs> that's that's really how like actual horticulturists think about plants. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So we are kind of coming close to the end. So we've got some we've got some pop questions from us, and then I think we'll also ask if anyone in the audience has any questions for James. Um, so <laughs> here's my first pop question for you. Um, what are your three essential fruits or vegetables? Oh, mean question. Yeah. <laughs> essential. Oh, well, okay. So I mean, we're we talking. I'm gonna give you a range of options, right? Because you've given me three. Okay. So essential to everyday cooking, basically life's not worth living. Yeah. I think has to be garlic and chili, right? Because garlic can mm. be used in everything. And I've just come back from the states, and I the nicest people in the universe. Uh, the most wonderful time and the first thing I got off the flight and I was like, I need to find some spiciness somewhere. <laughs> because I kept on ordering things that we call spicy and then I was like, there's literally nothing in this. Yeah. Like, I think spicy to them means like black pepper. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was so, like I didn't realize how much I need it. Um, so chili also super, it works in everything, garlic works in everything. But then if you've got to have a, you know, it's sometimes the things that matter most to you are the things that you don't actually eat that much. Like mm. Christmas dinner, eat it once a year, but it's mm. hugely significant to right. you. Um, so me, durian. Um, like I it's, love durian. It's controversial, and it's controversial, yeah. I think, sillily, because people will say it smells awful. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So does cheese. And it <laughs> oh can, the God, the so same true. compounds. It's so the true. same compounds yeah, in cheese yeah. that are found in durian. So wow. if you think that cheese smells horrible but tastes nice, mm -hmm. then try durian and don't put, put, be put off by the flavor because it's the same thing. Yeah. So uh, yeah. durian fruit. I'm not, you know, like a big fan of like Mao Shang Wang, like the fancy new. Now we talk about varieties more and stuff like that, but, and sell yeah. them for more. I mean, I'm kind of cheap and easy. I'll eat any durian. <laughs> I don't, don't need a fancy one, lah. Just any type, okay. Okay, so garlic, <laughs> chili, and durian. Yeah, I yeah. think so. What are yours? Um, meek. We need to share. Aha, <laughs> mean question, I told you. Um, I think garlic, onion, tomato. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I would probably go yeah. for those three. Oh, yeah. I'm running out now. Yeah. <laughs> Onions. Yeah. Garlic. Fuck. <laughs> If I you say know. durian. <laughs> I would say mangoes, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, good good choice, good Absolutely. choice. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, what would, James, what would be your um, desert, desert island meal, starter, main, and dessert? Go. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. well, I, I, I can definitely do main. <laughs> Nasi lemak, 100%. Oh, nice. Coconut rice. Uh, Where's the like, best, best place in London? Best place in London for that? Uh, for the CNR in yep. Wardour Street oh, nice. in Soho. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Haven't been in a while. But yeah. there's one really close to me, uh, which is called Makan. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, underneath the bridge. And all good Malaysian places are underneath bridges <laughs> or in dodgy right. alleyways. Okay. So um, there's that. Uh, dessert, uh, uh, probably ice kacang, which is shaved ice with syrups on it. Yeah. Uh, incredible. I can't get into kidney beans and sweet corn and stuff in desserts, though. I just... So I find it strange when people... Like, I grew up with that as yeah. desserts. I yeah. find it strange when people have the most savory things. Because oh, in Asia, savory. those are, like, beans are sweet things. But yeah. in, in the same way, I cannot cope with avocado as savory because avocado is a sweet thing. And I wow. think both nice. Yeah. Both yeah. are okay. I can't have vegetables as my dessert though like sweet corn <laughs> in my dessert I'd be like I know. Yeah, the same, same. can you send the, it back the worst dessert I think I've ever had in a restaurant so I went to Noma like when it was the best restaurant in the world um, and they did this thing where you know nothing was sourced the whole kind of like heritage native yeah. bullshit um, so nothing was sourced within uh, further than a certain perimeter it's just restaurant. such a gimmick and it's <laughs> such a gimmick and then the dessert came out and it was like what the heck it was like beetroot 
Oh, and dear. it was the greatest no, no, no. thing I've ever had. So and I thought I've just yeah. spent, I've just spanked this much money on this incredible Fucking man. Really and the problem cry. is, it looks beautiful. So you're like, oh, what kind of raspberry delicious? Oh no! I don't <laughs> give a shit that it looks beautiful. Like Alan. beetroot, beetroot doesn't come on. on. It just like pissed all over everything on the sides. Okay, final question, James. Yeah. Um, this is probably the most. You just cheated me out question. of my, my starter, by the way. Oh, Leo, oh I'm go sorry. On, go on. You, you had a minute. You went okay. to Nazareth. Bruschetta, boring, not, not, not exotic, blah, blah, blah. I'll eat anything. Bruschetta, there's something amazing about tomatoes, olive oil, yeah. garlic, bread. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, Fair enough. I'm not going to berate you for that. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. Are you team rice or team noodles? And there is a right answer. <laughs> oh, is there? Yeah. Um, yeah depending on your answer, oh, is we, this we an, might is this, tar and feather you. <laughs> is this a euphemism or is this no, actual no, rice? No, 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 would you rather no, choose no. rice? Oh, okay. Would you this isn't noodles? like rice or potato. Like <laughs> no, no. What's uh, that? What's, the, uh, what's that uh, euphemism? I'll tell for? you another time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, rice, and I, I know I'm not trying to pander to the Asian nest, but sticky rice yeah. is the food of the gods. Right. And that was a mango, it's spectacular. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, noodles can go either way, usually overcooked, especially here, so maybe yeah. not. Oh, the vermicelli, okay. horrendous. <laughs> yeah. If you get laksa, Singapore laksa, you have to ask for the egg noodles and not the vermicelli, or it's Do you not, not like proper. the mix? I like it when you've got a bit of both. No. Okay, maybe that. A bit extra. Ken, also Ken. <laughs> Mimi, what are you, what are you again? Wait. Team I'm, rice or team noodles? I'm, I'm team rice, but I really like rice noodles. I don't like egg or wheat noodles. <laughs> you can't have both. Mm. You're yeah. one or the other. I can't. And you're both traitors. Okay? I wrote a whole book about noodles, so <laughs> I can't say I don't like noodles. Um, okay. okay. But yeah, okay. That's an acceptable answer. We'll have that. Um... <laughs> So we are going to throw it open to the floor now. We've got a, we've got five minutes left. So does anyone have any burning questions about plants or you know his terrible taste in food? <laughs> <laughs> I'm unfollowing you now. Yeah. <laughs> this from Warrington. Where's your grandmother born? My grandma. Yes. She's not from. <laughs> so so that that you. So Are you basically, basically, papaya has an enzyme called papin. Right. And it causes proteolysis, so it breaks down things. Right. So if you had Victoria's Secret's ambitions, your mother <laughs> was sabotaging your entire So what, so papaya actually stopped you from growing your boobs? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Quite possibly. Oh, no. This is, this is Shiv. This is a mate of mine who's, like, allegedly a doctor. Oh, right. Here we go. The doctor the heckling me. No, I didn't. Oh I, I actually only realised he was here now. <laughs> so, heckling. So, okay. But the problem is, is it is an enzyme, but your stomach breaks down. It has proteases, which break down the proteins. Ooh. So, if you eat, no matter how many enzymes you eat, it's probably not going to have effect on your... Plot well, wait till twist. there's a clinical trial what? and I'm talking rubbish. Okay. Maybe, just, I don't know. Just I don't get the relation to my grandma, though. What? Because she, it's your grandmother that fed you, was it not? Oh, my mum. Oh, your mum. She's from yeah. Hong Kong, yeah. Yeah. Just just <laughs> because this is recording and we can't hear the best from the audience. Oh, uh, yeah. A gentleman in the audience asked <laughs> Bib where, my grandma? where her grandma was from because of the whole papaya thing. And now we're all quite disconcerted. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if these are my friends, you now realise why I like plants. <laughs> they come to this stuff and they Thank just heckle from the audience. <laughs> my question for you now. Yes. We, it's... Firmly established globally, you don't like human beings, <laughs> and we can see why. Now, I'm going to cast you away onto a desert island, <laughs> coasty, and you shall not have a Bible, you shall not have a book, and you shall not have a CD. You've got to pick a plant 
that you're in love with, that you <laughs> spend the rest of your life with. Okay. On this island. Yes. What plant will this be? So, I Desert Island. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. You, you ask it. Oh, yeah. So, so there's a question from the audience. You remember that? Slightly peculiar friend of James. <laughs> um, They're all like this. <laughs> Are you sure he's not like a triffid? Is this like a plant in human form? Um, <laughs> has asked um, if, if James was on a desert island, what plant would he want to spend the rest of his life with on that island? Yes. No, something um, to do with bi- no um, Bible or something. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, so um, Desert Island, you firstly have to think practically about what's going to grow on this Desert Island, right? <laughs> uh, and if I'm going to survive on it, it's probably not going to be bloody cold one. So a coconut palm, because there's firstly, Desert Islands have to have palm trees on. Mm-hmm. Secondly, <laughs> so <racist. laughs> no. uh, so they can be used for everything. So like extremely high calorie, there's um, uh, uh, essentially distilled water on the inside, the water inside is sterile. Mm-hmm. So they used to use it as um, rehydration drips. You can use that as a rehydration yeah. drip. Um, the material can be used for everything, so you can make shelter with them. It's mm-hmm. a one plant that does everything, and it would actually grow there. Oh and also native to Malaysia, so there extra you Asian. Someone's yeah. asked you, you've planned this answer. <laughs> no, I genuinely haven't. I genuinely. There was a question, guy in the cap. Thank yeah. you for your question. Um, yeah, more of a pop question. We, uh, you mentioned Chang Chi a couple of times. I was just curious what your superpower could be in the name of becoming a next level. Oh. Okay, so question from the audience is, what would James's superpower be um, in, in the interest of becoming a next-level botanist? Oh, wow. Um, that's really good. Um, I So I think already being interested in plants is just kind of a superpower. There's this thing called plant blindness. I know, I think that's sad that I think that's a superpower. <laughs> Get calls from the back of the audience. What? This is why I was so uncool in high school, right? There's this, there's this thing called plant blindness. And that's when you basically show someone a picture of a, a natural environment, and then you ask them to point out the living things. They will always find the one animal they can find. They will like do the like magic eye, cross eye thing. They'll like zoom in. They'll do where's Wally, and they'll point out like a bee or an ant that's right, on the right. corner of the frame, even if the whole frame is completely filled with plants. Right. So people discount plants and they see them as a fuzzy green backdrop to the natural mm-hmm. world, uh-huh. rather than the key players in the natural world that make everything actually function. So, I mean, I think that everyone who's interested in plants already has that because we see the world in a completely different way. I mean, when I was a kid, I was in the, I was in Alton Towers visiting and I was in the queue with like all my other like, you know, 10 or 12 year old friends. And they were like, yeah, James, it's okay for you in this queue because you can look at the plants. And I was like, actually it is. Actually, that's what I've been doing. And I was too embarrassed to admit. Um, so maybe it's that, uh, but also, you know, uh, it'd be amazing to, so we do know, uh, you know, the talking to plants thing, I don't want to get fired by like everyone who's a scientist. <laughs> we do know that like we, there's no real evidence for that, but we do know that plants communicate. They communicate with themselves, and they communicate with other organisms, and they actually can um, do quite complex messages and exhibit complex behavior. There's a certain amount of evidence to suggest they can even learn from that. Right. So from past experience, they can somehow store that memory, inverted commas, mm-hmm. and then that can affect their future mm-hmm. behavior to their benefit. They don't have brains, they don't have nerves. We have no idea how it works, Mm -hmm. but it seems to be the case. So there is a certain amount of um, science that is sort of thinking, if we could just learn to 
talk, in inverted commas, to plants, if we mm. could figure out the cues that they use, which might be vibrations, it might be chemicals in the air, to manipulate how they work, mm -hmm. you could have a future of agriculture where you don't have to use pesticides and fertilizers and all these things that are potentially environmental negatives. Yeah. You could just do things like play the right vibration to them, and that would alter their behavior. Right. So it would wow. be great to like do the Dr. Doolittle thing, except it would be with many yeah. other types of stimulus rather and then, than talk, so I'll go for that. So the plants say to each other, you're right, and the other one's like, what? Yeah. Like that. So, like, for example, Why are you if, me when if I'm all right? you, um, let's, yeah. let's picture that you are my mom, mm. which is, I think is okay. quite far-fetched because you're significantly longer than me. Okay, okay. So, and we're in the no, forest, No, I can work with right? this. I can work with this. Yep. Okay. And then Jane. Mimi is in between yep. us, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. something comes and bites you like an insect. Shit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'll be able to hear that from yeah. here mm -hmm, through an mm -hmm. underground network of fungi yeah. that connect yeah. us yeah. in between. It's like, you know, in Avatar when they go, that's actually Our based tails. on a paper. Oh, yeah, so we, yeah. I, I'm like, oh, mom just said something. And then people are like, oh, what's the plant going to do? Plants do loads of things. They yeah. can make themselves bitter, toxic. They can grow tighter. Whoa. They can redirect all their growth underground rather than above. They can do things mm. to defend themselves. You can even, I can do if that. You, I can be better. Yeah, you yeah. can detect yeah. whether you have like other offspring around you yeah. through that main thing. You can do a yeah. DNA test and be like, yeah. oh, yeah, I got one over there. Yeah. Um, my yeah. other, um, you know, Boris Johnson's type children that I don't know about. <laughs> And you can even feed me. You can shunt sugar mm -hmm. through that microbial network to me and, and feed me. to, and, and also even stop growing too aggressively near me so you're yeah. not competing. Yeah, uh, but yeah. no Asian mums do that. They just... <laughs> Um, right, but they, so you can do all of these different things. So yeah. like there's huge amounts that we're only just beginning to scratch the surface of how they do that. Right. Okay, I've got one last question, which is who would win in a fight, an Ent or a Triffid? What the hell Ooh. are those? Uh, so I, <laughs> I, I don't, I know, I know the Triffids because I had to read it in school. <laughs> I don't like, aren't the Ent people the tree people from Lord and the Rings? Yes, yes they are. I don't know, what, what do they do? What are you they, they're just about? fucking amazing. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who could compete in that. Um, I, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to pick a different franchise. Okay, go so, on. So Trifford yeah. versus Groot. What? Oh. From Gardens of the Galaxy. What's yeah. a Triffid? Can someone yeah. tell me what a Triffid is? Oh, so Triffid is uh, from a book from the 1940s sci-fi. I wasn't alive then. Okay, yes. Neither was I. <laughs> <laughs> Just like to say. It's not an Asian miracle cream. Um, so... So it's like a sci-fi book where like, um, there's a meteor shower and everyone who sees that meteor shower goes blind and then they are somehow beamed down to earth, ambulant carnivorous plants that kill people for some reason, I can't really remember. This is like GCSE stuff, it's very hazy. Um, uh, but I think that Groot is way cooler. Oh, yeah, of course. Because Groot exhibits lots of things that are actually biologically possible. Um, so, you know, he, like, the amazing thing about plants is they can just clone themselves. They keep their stem cells throughout their life. So if you were to put, like, a, a bomb inside Groot and explode him, he would still be alive. Mm -hmm. He would actually be split up into thousands of potential baby Groots as a clone. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, he could communicate and learn memories. Mm -hmm. uh, he, could uh, he could reproduce himself both asexually, like by literally splitting off pieces and cloning himself, mm -hmm. and also sexually, so you've got your options open. Nice. You could sort yourself out if you need to. We love um, uh, I yeah. think that he could really, like he's, the, the Triffids do nothing other than follow you around and kill you, and they don't <laughs> specify. Whereas Groot does all kinds of amazing stuff. So I'm gonna say, just from options, no. Maybe Groot. Okay, there you have it, everyone. There you have it. In a fight between Triffids and Groot, Groot would win. <laughs>
Um, okay, so, right, and I think that, you know, that's us wrapping up, but thank you for being a wonderful audience. Thank you to Viv for being an incredible guest Thank co-host. you, everyone, for coming. Thank you so much. And thank you to Mr. James Wall. Oh, thank you so thank much for letting me come on. Despite disliking people, sat in a room with a whole bunch of no, us. So these people are nice. <laughs> we'll, they all hate coriander. We discussed this earlier. But anyway, thank you. And we are thank the you, MSG Amy. pod. And please go look up BC's website and attend all the other EC Heritage Month uh, events. And yeah, thank you. And have a good evening. <laughs> This was the MSG Pod with Mimi A and Viv Yao live at the London Podcast Festival. Proceeds from the show of £190 have been donated to the GoFundMe UK Community Fund. Stop Asian and EC Hate at gofundme.com slash ESEA. The theme tune is by David Black and produced by Vellum Hill. Stay tuned for our next episode, which features the comedian Ken Cheng.